Have you ever thought that you were disqualified from God's lineage? Has the devil ever lied to you and said, you're not really a child of God? I think we've all heard that little voice, you're not a child of God. They're children of God, but you're not really. You're just sneaking in the door of church. If they knew your thoughts or if they knew what you had done, they wouldn't want you in here. Satan is constantly whispering to us that we're not children of God, that we're not qualified, that he doesn't want us when in truth God wants us so much. Also, our own hearts will condemn us. In fact, in 1 John, it says that when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Have you ever been kept up at night because you remembered something you did that was stupid? Something maybe from your youth? Some sin and the devil, you know, is just playing on that? Or, you know, have you ever, like, Remembered a bad mother moment? Anyone besides me have bad mother moments? I'm so glad I'm not alone. I remember one time, um, Kelsey, we're in England, and we're all getting ready for church. And Brayden comes up to me and says, you know, Kelsey's acting cuckoo. And I looked at Kelsey, and I just kind of like, I gave her a little pat and said, now get it together. And she's like, Aah. and I'm like, she is kind of acting strange. And the next thing um, I, I know, I feel her head, and she's got a blazing fever. So I send everybody to church, and I turn to, you know, check on Kelsey. And the next thing I know, she goes stiff, her eyes roll back, and she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, I am an idiot. You know, I'm telling this poor sick child to get her act together. I gave her orange juice. She turned out all right. God healed her, and God forgave me. But you know, we all have those moments and they'll keep us up at night. See, that was, Kelsey's 25 now. She's like seven. And here I am telling you all about it because sometimes it comes to me at night and says, you think that. Like, <laughs> we all have, okay, there are worse thoughts too that come, but I'm not telling you about those ones. Not, I'm not feeling that safe yet. But we all have those, those things that say you're disqualified. We disqualify ourselves, don't we? Then there are those certain so-called believers who want to qualify and disqualify. You know, like you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're in, you're in, because I like you, but you're out, 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 out. My son-in-law used to model, and he said he would, he would go to a lineup, and they would go, yes, no, 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 yes. I said, how did you do that? He goes, I don't know. I'd be like, if they said, ew, no, I'd be like, oh. I remember years ago, I was in, I was at the market, and I saw this man go, her, she's the one, and he pointed to me, and I looked over to see who he was, you know, saying this to, and there was this girl, and she looked me up and down, she said, her, ugh, no, and I was like, And what am I disqualified from? You know, should I not be shopping for yams? I didn't know what the issue was. But you know, there are those who, who have set them up, themselves up as judges over the church. And they're saying, who's really saved and who's really called and who's not the called? This is what the Judaizers did when they came into the church of Galatians. They told those Galatians, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You have to come under us. 
You have to begin to fulfill the law. Here's rules. Here's regulations. Because you're not really enough. And Christ is not enough. You have to earn this. But Paul said that we were not saved by the righteous acts that we have done, but the righteous acts that Jesus Christ alone has done. And as we believe in the righteous acts of Jesus Christ, we are saved. And there is no other name, Peter said, that is uttered on earth by which men can be saved than the name of Jesus, the Messiah. That's what saves us. And yet, there are those times that we look around and we think, Lord, I don't think you want me. Have you ever told the Lord you did not get a bargain? I've told the Lord so much, you did not get a deal with me. In fact, when Brian became the pastor of this church, I said to the Lord, if you want emptiness and stupidity and humility, you got the right couple. Because we don't have it. And we need Jesus so desperately. I I could look around and I could see more qualified people than Brian and myself. I see people with better pedigrees, better education, better experience, better attitudes, smarter. That's not too hard. More talented, more gifted. But I think of Moses. When God called Moses, Moses said, Lord, you can do better than me. By that burning bush, you can do better than me. I'm 80 years old. I'm working for my father-in-law. I've been kicked out of Egypt. My own people didn't want me. Lord, you can do so much better. I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to speak. Lord, in fact, this is actually what he said in Exodus chapter four, find someone else. I'm not a deal. And the Lord says, Moses, you're everything I want because I want to do it all through you. I made your mouth. I'll speak through you. I will give you the authority you need. I will give you the power. I want it to be me and not you. Sometimes we feel disqualified because of some past indiscretion or sin. We're haunted or condemned by something stupid we did, mistakes and sins of the past. Too often, we identify ourselves by our failures. I, you know, and not, and not by the parentage of God. But God, let me tell you this this morning, our God qualifies the unqualified. And our God disqualifies the qualified to qualify the unqualified. I was going to title this message that, but it was too long and too many cues. But have you ever noticed that God follows a whole different criteria than man when he is choosing servants? In John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. Jesus spoke to Peter who would fall asleep in the garden of Gethsemane, cut off the high priest servant's ear, rebuke him at the wrong times and deny that he even knew Jesus. 
And Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to use you to strengthen and establish your brethren. Seriously, he could do better. John, God chose John. Jesus chose John, John and James, who were nicknamed the sons of thunder, who were going behind the other disciples back saying, hey, let us sit on your right and left hand. Let us be first in your kingdom. Forget those other guys or your men. He chose Matthew, a former tax collector who sat at a booth, who, who co- cooperated with the Romans in cheating people. He chose Thomas and Bartholomew, who both struggled with doubts. He chose Simon, a zealot who had violent tendencies. He chose Judas, not Iscariot, but he chose Judas Iscariot, who would deny him right and betray him. But he also chose Judas, not Iscariot, who was slow to understand the will and purposes of Jesus. And he chose Philip, who didn't quite get who Jesus was, even after three years ministering beside and with and by Jesus. He chose these men, not because they were qualified. He chose the unqualified that he might qualify them to the grace of God and to ministry for him. So that later in Acts, when these uneducated, unsophisticated men are speaking with such power and authority and wisdom, those Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests who were so educated, so learned in the scripture, would say, where did these men get such knowledge and authority? And they would have to take note that these men had been with Jesus, that that was the source of their power. And that's what had qualified them for such incredible acts. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God said to the prophet Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In 1 Corinthians 26 through 29, Paul said to these learned Corinthians who thought they were, as Charles used to say, all that. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. What am I saying? I'm saying that you are all qualified for God's service. All of you. There's no excuses in this room because we answer to the God who qualifies the disqualified. Paul says in Colossians 1.12 that we are to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. God 
qualifies those he chooses. He fully fulfills the requirements himself. He forgives, he equips, he trains, and he works through. God chooses empty vessels, vessels of disrepute to change and transform and put his glory in. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this excellent in earthen jars that the glory might be his and not ours. God is the one who qualifies the disqualified and disqualifies the qualified. What are God's requirements? When God wants to use a person, what's he looking for? God is looking for faith. He is looking for those who will simply believe and trust him. In John eleven forty, God said to Martha, did not I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? What was the criteria for Martha to see the glory of God? To see her brother raised? Did she have to believe Lazarus is going to rise up from the dead? No. She simply had to believe that Jesus was the son of God come into the world. And on that basis of who Jesus is, she saw the glory of God manifested in her life. God is looking for faithfulness. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. He's just looking for those who will stick with him, who will stay with him, who will not turn to other gods, but say, you alone have the words of eternal life. He is looking for those who are faithful, as we said. Moreover, according to 1 Corinthians 4.2, it is required of the stewards that they be found faithful. This is what God is looking for. When he's looking for servants and people to use, he is looking for faith and faithfulness. He's also looking for those who will cooperate with him, who will obey. The other day I went to visit um, one of the couples in the church, Brian and I did. And um, the woman, Yolanda, she turned to me and she started singing, trust and obey. And we sang it together, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God is looking for those who will trust and obey, who will do it his way. God often breaks or reduces those he is going to use. In Matthew 21, God says, fall on the rock and be broken lest the rock fall on you and break you to pieces. God often breaks us before he uses us. He lets us come to the end of ourselves. So we will say, God, you're not getting a deal. Like Moses said, like Peter had to admit so that he can use us. God wants to get all the flesh, all the self-ambition, all the self-assurance, all the self-confidence, all the self-efforts out that we will look to him and we will see the glory of what he and he alone can do. God will often let us fail and fall to our own inclinations. He will let us go that route. He will let us try things that will fail 
so that in all our ways, we will acknowledge him and let him direct our paths. We're told in James 4, 6, that God resists the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. So God will humble us in order to lavish his grace upon us because God knows that the only lasting work is done by his grace and his grace alone. Case in point, finally, we are at the text, Bathsheba. God qualifies the disqualified. If I was going to choose one of the wives of David to place in the lineage of Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you. It would not be Bathsheba. She's not my first choice. In fact, we kind of got in a little bit of an argument in the leaders' meeting. Some felt like Bathsheba was a victim. I don't believe anyone's a victim. I believe that they make bad choices. Sorry. And God will use everything to highlight his glory. But I don't think she should have been taken a bath on that rooftop. And obviously, there must have been some light for David to see her and want her. And I don't think her rooftop was that far from the palace. And we're talking a woman who was married to a workaholic who'd rather be with the troops and fighting in the fields than be with his own wife. That's a recipe for trouble. That's a woman who wants attention. Honestly, I'm not a fan of a woman who flirts or shows too much skin. Especially around my husband. (laughs) And David had some other wives that I would be quicker to qualify. Michael. She was the daughter of King Saul. She could join the dynasties of David and Saul forever. That, that child would be of, of two dynasties related to Jonathan, David's best friend and a man of faith. It would join the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah forever. But Micah was a bitter woman and gave way to her bitterness. Then there was Ahinoam. Now, I, did, I, I don't know Ahinoam, and all I know is that David married her when he was in exile. But here's a woman who was willing to marry David when he was nothing. She was willing to be on the run and suffer deprivation and hardship with him. She was also the mother of his very first son. Now, she stuck with him, a faithful woman. I might put her in the lineage. I like faithful women who do not look on the outward appearance, but will marry the down and outers. I like those women who see potential in their husbands when they're plumbers. Or maybe Abigail. She's my personal favorite. I love Abigail. Think about it. She's a widow. Doesn't that just endear you? She has an awful first husband, and yet she was faithful. She has my sympathies for putting up with Nabal which means stupid man. (laughs) She's wise. She's godly. She's a peacemaker. She believes in the promises of God. She proclaims them. She humbly accepts David's marriage proposal and says, I'm willing to wash the feet of David's servants. She's courageous. 
She submisseth. But it's not Abigail that's called to this place as much as I would call her to this place. It's not Macaw. Now, Macaw was a king's daughter. Her, her father was the king of Jeshur. She was of royal stock. And she must have been beautiful because we're told that her children, Absalom and Tamar, were good looking. But Macaw is not the one that's placed in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Then there's Haggath. Um, I know nothing about this woman, but that her name means festive or dancer. She's a happy person. (laughs) Why not put the happy person in the lineage? And happy gave birth to, you know, why not Miss Happy? Then there's Abital. I don't have much to say about Abital either, except for it says her name means the father is dew, D-E-W, you know, like the nice moisture on the ground, which means refreshing. Why not put refreshment in the lineage of Jesus? I would put refreshment in the lineage of Jesus. Finally, there's Eglah, heifer. You just worked that one out for yourself. (laughs) Perhaps a strong woman in the lineage of Jesus. She pulled her own weight. But it's not any of these women, but it's Bathsheba who's placed in and mentioned in the lineage of Lee of David, of Jesus. This is a woman who takes public baths on rooftops, who shows skin. You know, interestingly enough, I'll just tell you a a quick story. I was sitting in in church on a Sunday morning and uh, the people behind me were talking really loudly during worship. And you know, it's just a a little disconcerting, you know, and so I thought I'll I'll just turn around, just, just curious, Who's talking during worship? And I turned around and all I saw was cleavage, okay? I'm just being honest. It's like, whoa. And I looked at her and I said, you're new here. And I shook her hand and I shook her boyfriend's hand. He looked like Burt Reynolds and uh, without the facelifts. And I turned around and I, you know, was back in the study and I began to pray for them. Years later, I ran into her um, in Austria at the castle. And she said to me, do you remember meeting me? And I said, yes. (laughs) And she said, all I remember is your smile. I'm like, good. (laughs) And she said, you were so kind and so welcoming. I said, well, I did pray for you. And she said, do you remember what I was wearing? I said, yes. She said, you know, that was my first time at church. I had just given my life to Jesus. And she said, later, I was discipled by a woman in the church. And she said, when I looked back and and I realized who you were and what I was wearing the first time I met you, I was so ashamed. And she said, but I want you to know I have grown. And now I've bought these radio stations and I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ on these radio stations. And when she got married, not to Burt Reynolds, to a different man, I remember seeing her and I said, what kind of man is is he that you've chosen? And she said, Cheryl, he's a man that prays. Isn't that amazing? And that's on rooftops. 
Sometimes they take the baths here at Calvary. She's a woman who didn't resist or protest an invitation to the palace, saying, no, I, I, I think I should stay home. She's a woman who committed adultery with David. She did not protest. She was complicit in a plot to deceive her husband, Uriah. She played the part of a mourning widow. She was willing to deceive the nation. But it's also Bathsheba who suffered because of her sin, was restored gave birth to a son that God loved, 2 Samuel 12, 24. It's also Bathsheba who received, believed, and acted on the promises of God to put David's son upon the throne of Israel. God's choosing is intentional. He chooses according to his purposes, not only to accomplish what he desires, because he knows what will work and won't work. He chooses according to the future, and he chooses according to his great plan, his great promises, and his great word. But God also, in his choices, teaches us lessons to show us his power, his ways, and his grace. I believe that Bathsheba shows us the thoroughness of God's forgiveness, the thoroughness of God's restoration. God's ability to change our identity from adulteress to the mother of a king to being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That we might know that no one is beyond his purposes if we only confess our sin, repent and change our direction, obey and cooperate with God's word and his purposes. Again, God's choosing is reflected in the man who would be king. We see that God disqualifies the qualified. The son that should have been the king of Israel was Amnon. Why? Because he was the firstborn. And it was the protocol of every kingdom that the firstborn be the heir of the dynasty, be the heir of the father's wealth. You remember that Jacob wanted that birthright that was naturally Esau's because he knew that the firstborn was the heir of the promises and the wealth and the throne. So Amnon, according to tradition and protocol, the ways of the other kingdoms, was the firstborn and the heir to the throne of David. But what happened? Amnon was disqualified because of his lust. He deceived his father. He raped his sister and humiliated her. And there was no repentance at all. But after he defiled her, he hated her and humiliated her even more. And because of this lust, he was removed. He was actually murdered and taken out of the running for the lineage of Jesus and for the throne of Israel. Next, you have Chiliab, who is also called Daniel. He's the second son born to David. He is the son of Abigail. But nothing more is written about him except for that he was born 
to David in Hebron. That's it. Perhaps he was simply disinterested in the throne or God's purposes or promises of God. This is a total possibility. There are some to whom the promises of God have no value. They want to do their own thing. I think about how Jesus said, do not give that which is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine. There are some people who do not appreciate holy things or pearls. They just don't care. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells the story of a king who was throwing a huge feast for his son's wedding. And it said that those who were worthy were called. They were the invited ones. But those that were invited made excuses one after another. One said, oh, I just got a new business and I I need to stay here and work with my business. Another one said, I've just moved into a a new house and I I need to work and keep my house. And the other said, oh, I just got married and I need to please my wife. In other words, they put possessions, business, personal business, and relationships above the invitation of a king to the wedding of his son. And we have seen that, that some people are just not interested in being in the lineage of Christ, uh, of, of being in the purposes or even being used by the Lord because of their self-interest. And so they refuse. There's Absalom. Again, son of royalty, grandson of the king of Jeshur. He had a great start. He is good looking. We're told that he was, that he was handsome and had thick hair. I, I imagine him looking kind of like Fabio. I don't know why, but that's the image that comes to mind. You have to be born before 1980 to understand that. He was just, he had a sense of right and wrong that was so strong. He was caring. He cared about his sister. When his sister Tamar was raped, we're told that he took her into his house to protect her. He was personable. He would stand at the city gate and talk to the people. And he would work for the sake of the people. He was strong. He was a leader. He was patient. He was charming. But he allowed unforgiveness to take root. He became bitter by the injustice around him. And he gave in to avenging himself rather than allowing God to work, which led to rebellion against David, which ultimately was rebellion against God. And he died in his rebellion. Next, we come to Adonijah. Here's another good-looking son. He's got good leadership potential. We, we read about him in 1 Kings chapter 1. Um, one of the priests, Abathar, he goes with Adonijah. He likes Adonijah. He thinks he'd be the best king. Joab, who was the captain of David's armies, he goes with Adonijah. Adonijah has all that leadership potential. He's the right age. He's next in line for the throne But we're told that he was ambitious and he set out to get for himself what he wanted rather than accepting what God had for him. He was deceitful. 
He went behind his father's back and he tried to undermine his brother Solomon. And so he was removed from the choices of being king. Then there's Shephathiah and Ethereum, and they were refused because their names were hard to pronounce. It's obvious. <laughs> They're never mentioned other than as sons of David. Now here's Solomon. He had a questionable beginning. Certainly it became known throughout Israel, the circumstances surrounding his birth. They're recorded in the Bible. They're written down in scriptures. Generations have known about the sin of Bathsheba and David. There was a certain openness there. Yet when he was born, God sent his messenger, Nathan, the same one that had rebuked Bathsheba and David for their sin, to tell David that this child, Solomon, was beloved by God. And God had his own name for Solomon. Though Solomon meant peace, God's name for him was Jedidiah, or beloved of God. I love how God has pet names for us, special names for us, because of how he feels about us. Solomon was one of the youngest sons of David. Today, as we were sitting in the leadership meeting, one of the women shared that she had read somewhere that Solomon was perhaps as young as 16 when he took the throne. David called him young and inexperienced in 1 Chronicles 29.1. Solomon's own admission in 1 Kings 3.7 was that he was inexperienced and he needed help. But God chose Solomon according to his plans and his wisdom. In 1 Chronicles 28, 5 through 6, David said, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now God said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Solomon would make some grave mistakes in his reign, but God would use Solomon to establish Israel in peace, to showcase God's blessings and forgiveness, to build God's temple in Jerusalem, to bless the people of Israel, to write 3,000 Proverbs, instructing his son to learn from his mistakes. Solomon would write the book of Ecclesiastes to the nation of Israel to reveal to us and that nation that fulfillment is not in wealth, pleasure, excess, because he tried it all, success, but only in God. And that every other pursuit in life is like grasping for the wind, vanity of vanities. Perhaps you have felt disqualified or unqualified. You can think of others that are far more qualified than you. Or you can think of past mistakes. Put that behind you. Because you serve a God who qualifies the disqualified and disqualifies the qualified. Who wants to bring you into his purposes. Because God is not looking at protocol or tradition. 
He's not looking at the most deserving, the most trained, the best educated, the next in line, the most talented, the most perfect, sinless, not even the best testimony. God is looking for those who want his promises, who will rely on him, who will do his will, obey him, who will follow their heavenly father's directions and who will build his temple in their hearts in their homes, and in this world. If you're here this morning, you're here because God has chosen you. Because God has qualified you. You're here, as Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one could come to me except my Father in heaven draws him. You are here because God has drawn you and because he wants to use you for his glory Have you felt disqualified? Have you had the Bathsheba experience? Have you done something in your past that you felt disqualified you? There's forgiveness. There's restoration. God will bring you right back into his purposes because his word cannot fail. Because his promises do not fail. Have you had the Solomon experience? You can think of a a thousand reasons and a thousand other people that God should choose rather than you. Sorry, he wants you. He loves you. He's going to do it all through you. He wants to work. Don't let that stop you. God has chosen you to be his daughter, to put you in the lineage of his son. God has chosen you to build his house here on earth. God has chosen you to put his son on the throne. God has chosen you to showcase his grace. You are qualified by grace. You are qualified by Jesus Christ, the son of God, who met every requirement of the law that you might be qualified. You are qualified by Jesus Christ, who became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might fulfill the righteous requirements of God through him. God desires to use each one of you for his glory. And that is stupendous, great, wonderful, amazing grace. Is it not? It is. Stand up. We're going to pray.